Well, good morning. Or should I say, good morning, South City Church, Little Rock, and the world. My name is Paul Stevens. It's my pleasure to be joining you today. I'm a partner here at South City Church, and I'm really excited about today's message. One, one thing that's gotten me so excited about is the sunshine the last couple of days. Has that not been great? I mean, unbelievable to be able to actually not get wet when you walk outside and take a breath, even though my car was totally covered with pollen yesterday. It looked like a yellow mobile, kind of like the yellow submarine, you know. And it was interesting because last night, I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but last night I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was, I was sniffling. And I'm asleep and I go, oh my gosh, I've got it. I've got Corona. Oh. And I woke up and I realized that I just had a sinus infection or sinuses from all the pollen. You know how it goes. But, but have you had that sensation kind of trying to come to terms with the reality of how much things have changed and how quickly they've changed? It's, un- it's incredible. I'm one of those guys, I have a little bit of a twisted sense of humor. And, so, and I tend to be a little skeptical. And so I probably didn't take the early warnings as dire and as serious as they turned out to be. And uh, so really, I've, I've been working up until recently uh, as normal. And so I've kind of enjoyed being able to drive to work and there's nobody on I-30. But then you start looking around and going, you know, this, is, this, is not, this isn't normal, this isn't usual. And then the more things begin to unfold and you begin to realize just how surreal all this is. And it moves from kind of uh, just an oddity or something to make a joke out of, uh, but becomes real. It got really real for Margaret and I this last weekend or this last week. On Tuesday, uh, Margaret had been having some respiratory issues and she has respiratory problems, has had. And so we got pretty anxious, called the doc. The doc said, call the med center. The med center said, come by and see us. And it was like, oh, no. And so we went and got tested. And uh, it was interesting. They they tested us. And I think this was like Tuesday afternoon, maybe, maybe Wednesday. And they said, well, we'll get the results back to you Friday. And so Friday, you go, okay, I got to wait five days before I find out if I'm, like, doomed. And, uh, and so as it turned out, we, we got the results. Uh, actually, they said Monday. We got them just recently. But for the next three days, uh, basically, Margaret and uh, my 16-year-old Callie and I were all confined to quarters. And I, I, I told the guy who was telling us that we had to do that, I said, do you understand that I have, I'm living with two women, and I love them both, but one of them is 16, and we're going to have like three days of nothing but drama in our house. Uh, they didn't laugh, but anyway, it turned out well. Uh, the test came back. Margaret's negative. We don't we don't have the virus. We don't have, have CV19. Yay! And uh, and we're free to uh, go back to life as is normal for now. Other things that happened this week at the same time though is what really brought it home because I had to sit and and working on budget numbers and decide if I was going to lay off our staff at Exodus Life. And if so, who we were going to lay off and how many people we were going to lay off. And no matter how I made the list, I couldn't get my name off of it. And so that meant I had to start thinking about budgets and budget concerns. And Margaret began to uh, go through our budget and try to figure out what we were going to be able to do without. 
and how well we were going to be able to survive on unemployment uh, uh, insurance. I bet a lot of you have been going through the same thing this week, haven't you? So all of a sudden, what became kind of a joke or a, just an interesting phenomenon, all of a sudden, my whole life has changed. I was watching the news and, and seeing these uh, acres and acres of fields with uh, airplanes that are grounded, uh, you know, just tail to nose. We know that the deaths from the coronavirus continue to, so- to soar. Did you know that in Italy, they reported 919 deaths in a single day? That's incredible when you think about it. The biggest single death toll reported in any country since the start of the outbreak. Italy now has the highest number of deaths from the world, the disease uh, from CV-19, and uh, right now their fatality rate is at about 10%. Uh, Fortunately, that's much higher than the global average of 3.4%. But the point is, in an instant, it's as if God flipped a switch and has brought all of Western civilization to a standstill, isn't it? All of a sudden, we went from comfortable with our Uh, market and our businesses and our economy and we had day-to-day worries about 16-year-olds and wives getting along and 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 grades in school and we were worried about uh, where we're going to go to college next year and our next raise our next promotion and now we're we we have no baseline and so when you think about planning for your future where do you start do I plan for my future assuming that Exodus.life will somehow organizationally survive and will continue that ministry? The truth is, I don't know. Now, the truth is, I never did know, but I, but, but I could at least live with an assumptive, assumptive knowledge that things were going to continue as usual. But now, God has interrupted everything, and all of a sudden, nothing is quite as certain as it was. We know, or we don't know, that we're safe. And, and usually we do know that, don't we? But it's like there's suddenly this vortex of chaos out there threatening to draw us in. And we don't think it's going to. We think everything's going to be okay. But all of a sudden, we're a little more uncertain and a little more aware of what James uh, meant when he said, don't say I'm going to do this or that. Say if God wills, I'm going to do this or that. And so in in the midst of this, it's very interesting. Um, You know, maybe I watch too many movies, but uh, the the vortex to me is a pretty good image. But, But what it does is it makes you stop and realize how close we are really in everyday life to things getting strained beyond what we can hold on to. And you know, this is the perfect time for the gospel. It is the perfect time of the gospel. When, when people are feeling unsafe and unsure, you know, as believers, we have a basis. We do have a baseline. The baseline is Christ, and the future is heaven. And, we, and when we move away from human things into spiritual things, which is where we want to be anyway, all of a sudden we find all the comfort and all the hope of knowing that Christ's work is done. And no matter what happens on this earth, in this economy, in this civilization, that my eternal destiny is secure. What an important message of good news that people around us need right now, don't you think? 
So we're in the middle of the series that, that uh, we started several weeks ago uh, about the, loving our neighbors. And uh, today we're talking about loving the broken. And I think you'll see how this fits in with what's going on uh, in the world uh, really well. The verse that is the core verse for this series is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's from Matthew 22. And so when Drew asked me if I would preach on the broken, uh, the first question that, that really comes to mind is, well, who are the broken? Really? I mean, who are they? And so I want to start out by, by making it clear. I, I, when I think of the broken, I don't think of an economic condition. Uh, just because you're poor doesn't mean you're broken. And just because you're not poor doesn't mean you're healthy. Uh, it's really not really connected. So it's not about being the poor. The, uh, because you're homeless, you're not automatically broken. You may be homeless and you're in dire circumstances, but you're not necessarily broken in the way I think we're talking about. Right now, uh, in the world, we're, we're being tested, we're being strained, but the, we're not broken in the sense that our spirits are broken. Uh, brokenness is not just about being diseased or disabled or divorced or somehow stigmatized or, or in especially difficult circumstances because a lot of people find themselves in those circumstances but navigate through it very well, don't they? And yet some don't. Uh, just because you've been imprisoned or you're in prison right now doesn't necessarily mean you're broken. You may be there defiant and completely confident in your future doesn't mean you're, that you're broken. It's not a moral condition. And so it's not a genetic condition or, or a moral character position where because you're a poor character, you find yourself uh, in, a, in a broken circumstance. Uh, rather, it may impact the morality, but it's not, it's not that. Uh, broken people may look just like us or they may look different, but the truth of the matter is they are us. I think the place where you have to start when, when you're talking about this particular topic is to realize we're all broken. We're, we're broken by definition because we're part of a fallen race who's been cursed by the God in heaven. And so we, we were created to be image bearers. We were created to reflect his glory and his goodness uh, in, in our lives. And we don't and we can't. And we, so we have this sense of potential in us. This, this sense of what it would be like if we really were fully an uh, image bearer and, and yet we can't reach it. And so there's a sense in which we're all broken. But a lot of us find a way to accommodate our brokenness. We, we find a way uh, to continue to, to live as if things are going to be okay. Um, and, and so even though we're cursed, uh, a lot of us find ways to at least make a pretense of normality and that everything is going to be okay. So we're supposed to become human, fully human, and fully human is what Christ was, when I use that language, and instead we're something less than that. We're something that's not that. Some of us become so distorted by the curse that we can't maintain a pretense or we don't have any genuine hope left that we can somehow grow and mature. 
And, and so what, what we see in, as far as humanity's attempt to cope with the, the reality of this void we have, this inability that we all have to reach our full potential, uh, uh, the, the, many of us pursue that. And so as believers, we're pursuing our sanctification and we're pursuing getting better. And, and we have hope that that's going to happen. Uh, some of us then just pretend, you know, I, I was, uh, especially when I was younger, I was a pretty big people pleaser. And for a people pleaser, the reality is that if thing, things look good, that's almost as good as them being good. In other words, if it looks good, I'm okay. Even if it's not any good, and I know it's about to rot down and to the core, but it's okay because it looks good. But it's not necessarily good. Well, so we start living this life of pretend. We begin to pretend about our health, or we begin to, to, not, to deny some of the realities around us and, and create a life for ourselves uh, and, and try to move forward with it. But some of us, some of us, because of our own sin, uh, because of the sin of other people, because of satanic attack, uh, they are stripped of even that hope of life. Evil decisions, perhaps they made personally, trauma, disease, birth defects, circumstances perhaps uh, that they're totally innocent of having created, but so much pressure, so much focus comes in that, that they give up. They give hope. And so when we're talking about brokenness and who broken people are. We're talking about people whose spirit, whose human spirit has been shattered. You know, there are some great examples of, of this in Scripture and, and the emotions that are involved in it. And it's something I think most all of us uh, can associate with. I, I've asked audiences for many years, uh, if you've ever come to the point where you've lost hope or nearly lost hope, raise your hand. And, and, and when I do, almost in every audience, almost everybody raises their hand. We all really know emotionally kind of what I'm talking about here. And, and so it's that vortex of chaos, and it looks like it's coming for us. And we're helpless in its face. And, you know, this represents this, this, this moment, this feeling of brokenness represents one of the clearest manifestations of the curse. It, it's as if these are people that, yeah, they're not only uh, broken by the fall and they're not only unable to meet their human potential. They, they don't have the confidence, the hope or the expectation they can do anything. That anything good can ever happen for me. They're convinced that there's this black cloud falling around, getting ready to zap them. And so something good happens. Whoa, look out. Something bad's going to happen. Let me wait for the other shoe to drop. And so they're like Job. I have an excerpt so I want to read you from Job and, and just to try, to try to hear and feel the hopelessness that he's experiencing here. He says, what strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? Do I have strength of stone? Is my flesh bronze? Do I have any power to help myself now that success has been driven from me? Hear the despair there and the anger. Like a slave longing for evening shadows or a hired labor waiting to be paid, so I've been allotted months of futility and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on and I toss and I turn until dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. And when I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so, so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this, this body of mine. I despise my life. 
I would not live forever. Just leave me alone. My days have no meaning. You feel the power of that? And you know, there's not a single person listening to this message that hasn't brushed up against that at some moment or another, have you? Some of us have not only brushed up in it, but given ourselves over into it. And as I've shared with you at different times in my own story, I did that. I just gave up. And when you come to this place where you believe that you're different from everybody and everyone, that there's something uniquely wrong with you that cannot be corrected, when you come to that place of hopelessness and give up, what, what rushes in to replace that is a, uh, almost a desperation. And so for me, it was eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And the sooner the better, by the way. And I embarked in a, in a journey of addiction that nearly took my life. Everyone is susceptible to this kind of brokenness because we believe so many things that are just not true. And that's what the world's experiencing now. You know, as long as the economy was running pretty good and the, the politicians would drive us crazy, but they were kind of staying between the ditches and, and you know, we were a little worried about uh, North Korea launching a missile and how are things with China and, and the whole Trump issue and the Democrats. But, but within that, there's a sense of normalcy, like everything's, you know, it's, it's running okay. And all of a sudden, no. No, it's not running okay. And, and the big people, you know, the big people that we trust to take charge of us, we're starting to look at them and go, do you really know what you're doing here? Do you, are, are you sure you've got this under control? You, you, 40,000 people in New York are sick? Really? 10,000 people have died in Italy? Really? It's, and, and we hadn't even started into the, the real depth of what the virus may do to our country, really? All of a sudden, we get stripped of our illusions and the reality that the truth is, it's only by the grace of God that we live and breathe. It's only by the grace of God. And things that we think we have power and control over, we have no power and control over. And that is exactly what takes you to being coming really broken. You... you, you, you you're like in a position where, as, as Job was saying, what am I supposed to do? I've got no power. I've got no power. You're facing unemployment, facing uh, food stamps, facing a bailout by the government, but none of us really knows what that means. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about the world that I live in, uh, which is a, 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 has a special brokenness of its own. I call it Exodus World or Exodus.life World. I work in a nonprofit that uh, ministers to inmates before they get out of prison and tries to help them get established once they get out. Uh, it's a particular set of inmates, and so this particular set of inmates are all drug and alcohol-related offenders. And, and what they have in common as a group is they lost hope in their addiction. One of the problems with uh, drugs and, and incarceration is they're destroying families in our country at an alarming rate. Before the virus ever hit, we have a real issue in our country with uh, the 
spread of drugs, alcohol, heroin, the opioid epidemic. But, but the offshoot of that that people don't recognize is that it's destroying whole family units. And so we, we've, we've moved into this cyclical position where addiction becomes generational. And, and, it's, and it's, it may or may not coincide with generational poverty, but probably does. And, and so all of a sudden families have the tremendous pressure on them all the time, like many of us are feeling now, and the pressure is, uh, how, do, how do you socialize your kids? How do you teach them the difference between right and wrong? How, when, you're, when you're passed out, or you're junked out, or you're gone. And so children are being raised and not being prepared or given any equi equipping or capacity to deal with the reality of life, because life is hard. And again, we're all feeling that as a world right now is that life is uncertain. Uh, for some of us, uh, we, felt, we felt that long before this particular uh, reality. Now, let me give you some numbers so you can fill some scope. I promise not to make your eyes roll up with statistics, but uh, Arkansas, state of around, what, 3 million or so? Do you know that right now today we have 20,000 men and women who are incarcerated by the state of Arkansas? And 10,000 of them will be released this year, and next year there'll be 11,000. And so the numbers of incarcerated are continuing to, to go. Do you realize how many families that means are impacted by incarceration? Families in our own church, by the way, who have been impacted by incarceration. Well, uh, the, uh, one of the foundations, uh, Children's Foundations, did a study, and they discovered that 18% of children in Arkansas are raised without the presence of a parent due to incarceration. That's 20% of our kids, y'all. That's 20% of our kids. The, the role of the family is to socialize. I can promise you the capacity of a family who has someone who is incarcerated and an addict to socialize their kids and get them ready for society is just not there. And we see that in the child welfare system. Over half the kids in foster care have parents that are either incarcerated or addicted or both. And, the, and, and we keep developing programs and spending money trying to support these families. We're, we're, we're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars in incarceration, in aid to dependent families, in program after program after program, and still the numbers continue to increase. And the reason the numbers increase is because people believe lies, they aren't equipped to cope with life, and then reality hits. And they're the same place I was when I was 14. I was looking at my life and not seeing any prospects, any hopes for the future. I discovered the reality of being cursed. And the fantasy world that I had created to live in fell apart, and I had nothing to stand on. Nothing but that pretentious living, as I call it. Pretentious living means this. It's just denial. And so, hey, I can handle this. I got it. You know, oh, yeah, I'm going to jail, but I'll just be there a minute. You know, that only gave me five years. It's just, I'll just be there a minute. No one will know. No one will know. And, I, and I'm so different, so I'll just pretend, and I'll act, I'll act good. I'm terrified of failing, but I'm acting confident because I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm terrified of rejection and being alone, and I'm so desperate to try to please others, I'll do just about anything with the right kind of pressure from the right person. I know the difference between right and wrong, but I can't hold the line and I fear punishment and justice. Does any of that sound familiar? 
Isn't that what goes on in our heads, every one of us? And when those, those different false coping mechanisms, the pretentiousness of pretending to have a life, but not really having a life, when something sweeps in like addiction, like a tragedy, like a trauma, like a father who, who uh, molests his children or an uncle who molests uh, his nieces and nephews, all kinds of sinful activity, the sin of the world, our own sin, there are all kinds of complications, comes in and tests that perception of reality we've developed. It gets stripped away. And we're, we're left with nothing but our own souls and our own fear and hopelessness. I think the world's being tested right now. I mean, that's not a, like an ingenious statement, I suppose. But tests expose the truth about the strength of who and what we count on for safety. If we're, if we're counting on money for safety, then the test is, did you see the drop of the stock market? I didn't even try to look at my retirement account. I'm trying to pretend like it's not there because it's probably not. If you're counting on comfort, uh, you can't even get into a restaurant now, much less a bar. If you're, what do you count on? to bring the comfort and the strength and, and form the baseline for your future and your life. That's getting tested now. And it's getting tested for us. And hopefully uh, you're, you're in a place where you have a solid relationship with Christ and you can give a solid answer. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And I say that with total confidence and let, let the future be what it is. I can't control it anyway. But if you don't have that and you're laid off from work right now or you're watching your small business fall apart in front of your very eyes, if everything that you've built into your life, you've, you've established in your life is now at risk, what are you going to depend on? And so it's kind of like the Exodus Project. You know, we pick the time that we want to interact with our students. We try to interact with them three to five months because they, before they get out of prison. You know why? Because that's about the time they're starting to think about getting out of prison. And I don't want to think about it. But it's, but it's welling up in them. There's a pressure in them. And they got questions. And if you got answers, they'll at least give you a shot. In the same way, I promise you, all around us now, in this city, in this community, in this part of town, in every part of town, there are hundreds of thousands of people that are wandering around without answers. And guess what? You have the answer. You have the answer. Test exposes the truth about the strength of who our God is. And is, is our God powerful? Do we worship gods of power? So the scriptures put it this way in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The civilization that has developed around the world is a civilization that counts on the wise person, the teacher of the law, the philosopher of this age. And what's happening right now, it's being tested and stretched to its very limits. 
It's just mind-boggling. Five weeks ago, everything was the same. Five weeks later, there's a question about everything. So can you see what's really happening around us? What's really happening in us? We're being tested. People are being tested. They're being stretched. They're fearful. They're needy. They're desperate. And so this is a tremendous opportunity for us to act as image bearers of the great and compassionate God we worship. Because you know what? God doesn't love anybody more than he loves people who are right in this spot. You know, you read through the Old Testament, it's great. When God's really ready to brag on himself, I mean, he's, he's, ready, he's ready to tell people, okay, you know, you want to know who I am? I am the great and glorious God. Can you remember passages like that? And he says, and I'll prove it to you. You know why? Because I defend the widow and I'm a father to the fatherless. Wow. I thought you were going to say, you could blow my planet to smithereens. No. No. God extols his power in his compassion. And isn't that what we learn from Christ, you who are Christ followers? Jesus didn't come to judge the world, remember that? But to save it. He found himself as a servant. And so he didn't hold on to the fact that he was God. He let it go and he began to serve. Everybody loved him. The first thing he did was to get out and and to begin connecting with people. And so the sick, the desperate, the hopeless flocked to him and he healed them and gave them hope. It was the broken that he gathered around him and that he healed. Excuse me. Christ came to show what it means to be, to bear the image of God. He came to serve. He came and served in humility. He came with compassion. And he obeyed the Father by reflecting his image. And we can too. We can. No, we fall short. We're not perfect. We're not always liked. We don't always say the right thing. But but it's not about us. It's about God's power residing in us by the Spirit that he sent And when we move in ways that he would move, when we pray for things that he would pray for, when we seek to serve and to give with the humility and the grace that he would give for, I promise you, I promise you, his power will work through you. Or you can just sit at home and be scared. One of the things that I thoroughly enjoy about the work that I do is we depend on volunteers to do the ministry. And so what happens is we have volunteers, they come in, they get trained, they start ministering with, with uh, the students. And the students, over the first four weeks, they start getting a little more hopeful. And then in the second four weeks, everybody gets to know each other better and they're starting to get closer. And the students start changing. And, and the volunteers go, wow, I, I, I thought these people didn't change. And then the last four weeks go by and we have a graduation at the end and family comes and the students put on a program and it's the most blessed hour of worship I I have in the course of my my life. Because they're praising God because God has stripped them and tested them to where they were nothing and then as they laid themselves low, he lifted them up. Because that's what he does. Because he's a good God. He's a God who cares about us. 
You know, in the Old Testament, this whole problem uh, of pretentious living versus real service was, it was a big issue between God and the Israelites. And I personally think it's a big issue between God and the, church, the Western, Western Church and Church of America. And there's a passage, it's a pretty classic passage. It's in Isaiah 58. If you've got Bibles around there somewhere at the house, you might want to grab it. This is a long passage, and I'm not going to put it up on the screen. It, it almost uh, would make it more confusing. But, but I want to read it to you. So Isaiah 58, if you can take a second and find it. The first half of this passage, what, what it basically says is, is God speaking to his people, and, he, and he's going, hey, you, you can't act the way you're acting and call that worship. That's not worship. This is the way you need to act. Does that make sense? And so the passage really uh, d- uh, divides itself in half. And so look, look with me at verse 1 if you've got it. And if you don't, just listen and I'll try to read it with some effect. Uh, the scripture reads, shout it aloud. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out, and they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and hadn't forsaken the commandments of its God. You catch that same? See, they live, they're living pretentiously. They're acting like they love God. They're acting like they're pursuing God, but they're not. Not really. They're just showing up. They're just going through the forms and, and meeting the expectations. They ask me for decisions, and they seem eager to come near me. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you haven't noticed? And so, hey, God, we're doing all the things we're supposed to do. I, I mean, I'm at church on Sunday morning, and I'm tithing, and, I, I, and you know, we, I, I come volunteer at the food thing once in a while. And, I mean, hey, it's all cool. It's all cool. I'm good. But the reality is your heart is somewhere else entirely, sometimes, for some of us. And so what he's telling them is, Israel, is that's where you're at. You seem eager to come near to me, but you're not really eager. You seem like you're fasting, you're worshiping, but you're really not worshiping. And so you ask yourselves, well, why have we humbled ourselves? And you haven't noticed it. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrels and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Think about what that means, not just for South City, but for churches all over the city right now. Where are we really at? Are we fasting the fast God would have us? Are we worshiping the way he would have us? Are we engaged and involved in serving the broken? I'm talking about big big church, big C. And I go, no, I don't think we are. Not as a big C. And so he goes on, uh, he, he says, is this the kind of fast I've chosen only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing your head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? Is that what you call a day acceptable to the Lord? Now he moves into what is acceptable. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke? And to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? 
and to provide poor, the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Listen to these promises. If you'll do these things, if you'll remove the, the, the chains of injustice, if you'll remove the yoke of oppression, if, if, if you'll quit pointing fingers and judging each other and judging people, if you'll do those things, and let me tell you what I'm going to do, then your light will break like, forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And you will cry for help and he will say, here I am. You want to talk about food to the broken heart? To be able to cry out and say, God, please help me. And he will go, here I am. Here I am. If you'll do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you'll spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Even with CV-19 running around the corner. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well watered garden. I love this passage because it's got some of the richest promises in all of Scripture. And they're all based on the, the willingness to come in as a servant to the broken. Not, not to live life as usual and pay your mortgage on time and send your kids to school, although that's great. It's, it's not just to uh, be responsible with your money and have a good house and protect your health, although that's great. It's not just to show up in church and, and worship and, and, and be on the worship team. That's great. Uh, it, it's not just about being for things that are of high value. That's great. It's about doing something. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited here. It's about doing something. In, in my almost 40 years of Christian ministry, one of the things I've observed about us as believers is that we can talk and 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 never get off of our tail. Never get off of our tail. And people dying all around us and we don't even get off our tail. I've worked my entire life trying to bring the church into contact with state government, with churches, with other organizations. And I want to tell you, the world is out there and they're going, where's the church? We need help. People are dying. Where's the church? Well, the church is forded up in its million-dollar buildings, singing songs to each other and clapping each other on the back and going to the rec, to the rec hall together. While they're out there with children who are addicts, who are overdosing and dying, and they are facing it alone. And where are we? We have to start living in reality. And reality is that as human beings, God created us for this purpose. And I'm telling you, it's a very easy do list. You can put this do list and say, this is my do list as a believer, and this is South City's do list as a church. I'm supposed to loose the chains of injustice. I'm supposed to break the yokes of oppression. I'm supposed to set the oppressed free. I'm supposed to share my food and my shelter and my clothing. And I shouldn't be hiding from my own family. And the family there is the rest of the human race that is starving 
and hurting and crying and fearing and failing while we go about in our prosperity aloof to it. We've turned our back on them way too often. So we don't want to hide from our own family and we don't want to be judgmental and malicious. It's that simple. Now here, here would be my challenge for us, as, for South City as a church and for the church, the greater church here in Little Rock. Do you even know where the chains of injustice are? Do you, do you know who is yoked and what is, what is oppressing people? Do you even know? Have you even seen it? Do you know where, where it occurs? You know about the homeless, but, but how, many, how many people are going without food and shelter? Statistically, Arkansas, about one-third of our population goes without enough to eat every day. Did you know that? And most of them are children and elderly. Where is the church? Where is the church? Do, do you know, even in this time of crisis, and I know some of you do. I'm, I'm getting, don't let me get too worked up. I'll get negative. But do you know uh, the legacy group that Drew mentioned? Have you checked on any of them? Not because Drew called you and said, hey, would you check on so-and-so? But just because you know them, you want to make sure they're okay. You see, we've got to become, if we want to be effective as a believer and effective as a church, effective as a true human being, then we have to understand where the problems are, identify the problems, and then see what role God has for us to play in them. We don't have to fix it. We're not going to fix COVID-19. I don't have a clue, but God does. But I, I know that I can serve the people that are struggling with it if I get out of my own self-centeredness. So I have some action steps for you to write down, to think about, and then I have a challenge for us as a church. We need to root out pretentious living and get real. If you're not in a small group, you need to be. If you don't have an, an intimate group of relationships where people can tell you the truth about you that you don't want to hear, you need to be in that. And it's not an option. Talk is cheap. One of the things that we have going here is we have a group of people that, that, that were generally disappointed with some aspect of their religious experience up to now, and they've come together in hope here at South City and hope that things, there'll be more. The intimacy and the relationship will be there, and, and it's drawing us, all of us. And that's great. But what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Do we, do we understand the African-American community's greatest moral value, generally speaking, is social justice? They want to know what we're going to do. They don't, they, they don't care about what we're talking about. They know the words. The Hispanic community values family with such richness and depth. Do we understand that? And how are we reacting and responding to that? If we truly want to be multicultural and we truly want to move into this community, then we need to have a better understanding of what's going on, don't you think? Do you know the community you serve? And are you willing to step into the messy lives of other human beings without judging them? Those are hard questions. Most of us 
And our life of pretense has built a life around us that where we feel safe, where we don't feel at risk or overextended, extended, where we don't feel like we're going to be asked to do something we'll fail at, where, 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 where we will always know what to say and what to do. That's not walking by faith. Walking by faith is, is, is connecting with the schizophrenic and learning how to do that well and wisely and providing them food and shelter. That's risk. Risk is coming down to exodus and volunteering and helping with prisoners and inmates. Or it's working with other groups in, in reentry. It's getting involved with real life in the real world the way the real God would have you do it. And me. So I have a challenge for the church. I call it ICE. No, it's not in case of emergency, but it's close. Identify, contact, and encourage. Tell me what do you think would happen if a group of us got together, group of leaders in the church got together and brainstormed a list of people that we could get in contact with. The elderly, and not just our elderly, but the elderly, especially the impoverished and the minority elderly who have less access to services. What if we got together and we pulled together a list of them, of community leaders, people like Sheriff Higgins who are working hard and others out here in Southwest Little Rock, the new mayor. There are a lot of people who are working hard for the community. I think they could use a little encouragement right now, don't you? Medical workers, the unemployed, small business owners whose hearts are breaking. Foster families, foster children. There are needy people, vulnerable people, and we know them. It's not like we don't know them. We know them. Somebody here does. So what if we made a list, say 500 names? Could we as a church divide up and contact and identify? So we identify the people in need. We contact them, whether it's email or phone, and we just flat encourage them. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. You know, my, my whole life and ministry has been built on encouragement. It's just because I know, I know how to do that. And so what I try to do is be a, a hope bringer. So instead of bringing doom and gloom and despair, and the world is ending, the world is ending, can we go, praise God. You know what? I get scared sometimes, and then I realize where my help comes from. And, and let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about what I've seen God do. Identify, contact, and encourage. Could we? I think we could contact 500 people in a week. Now, maybe not. But there are an awful lot of us working from home right now. You got anything else to do? You, you like me, I was trapped for three days with my sweet wife and my 16-year-old my daughter. If you know that shout-out, ladies, I'm, I'm appreciating you. <laughs> I got time to make some calls. If, if somebody could just give me the contact information, give me four or five names, I'd call them. And then let me, let me ask you this. What if we did that from now to the end of the crisis? What if we just called people? We, we called small businessmen and say, hey, my name's Paul Stevens, and you don't know me from Adam and don't need to. I just wanted you to know we've got an initiative and, 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 and this group where I go to church, and we're just trying to check on people, see if they're okay. How you doing? Has, 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 has your business been hit hard? Are you doing all right? 
I mean, you don't have to make best friends with them. Why can't, why can't we do that? And let me tell you what I think. If we would engage the community with that kind of intentionality for the next three months, three months from now, we'll know where the chains of oppression are. We'll know where the yokes are. They'll tell us. They'll, they find out that we're really interested and really want to know. They'll be dying to tell us what they're going through and what their struggle is and what they need and how we could help. Most of us, especially here at South City, we want to do good. We just don't know what good to do. We don't know how to mobilize ourselves to do it. But we can figure it out. All we need to do, identify, contact, and encourage. That's my challenge to South City. Who will step up from our church body? And, and, and I'm not talking to the staff and elders. They've already stepped up. Who else could step up and help lead an effort to collect names and contact information? Who could step up to help uh, recruit other volunteers from within the church to make those contacts? Who could step up to, to keep up in accountability and be able to report back to the church what good has happened because we're making those contacts? We don't have to sit at home and be scared and depressed while we're waiting for life to start over. It's not necessarily going to. We, we, our duty to serve is now. Our opportunity to serve is now. And there is no telling what power God might give to an effort like this. And then finally, I think we need to be praying. And the prayer is not just God save us, although that's a good prayer. But it's, God, what can we do? I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to be more like God. I want to be compassionate. I want to be giving. And, and I want to see the power of your work manifested in the lives around me. Don't you? Let's do that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, I just I thank you so much that you stripped the pretense from my life and brought me into the fold of your kingdom. And that you loved me and you've trained me and prepared me and equipped me. And now you're using me. It blows my mind that you would use me. And God, I thank you for South City and the things that are happening here for Drew and Daryl and other friends of many years. And the work and the power that you're doing in their lives. And God, we just pray, use us. Just use We just want to be used. We, we, don't, we don't want to be the biggest or the best or the brightest or the fastest. We just, we just want to be with you. Amen. Paul, thank you, brother. Love you and appreciate you so much. Uh, you know what I love about what Paul said is, is for us to be a light in the darkness. And right now there's a lot of darkness. And it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to be the light. So he mentioned to me, you know, if, if each one of us had five people just in the community that are not necessarily connected to our church, or maybe they are, I don't know, but just reaching out to each, each one of us, reaching out to five different people, we identify them, we contact them, and we encourage them. Can you imagine just how far that would go with our people and the people surrounding our church? Uh, listen, I, I, we're praying for you and praying that God would use this message and this day to move our hearts from uh, inaction and just uh, whatever it is that we're doing, <laughs> to moving, to movement. God using us for his glory, for the people that society says are broken. There are no broken people. 
You know, God can heal everything. He can do anything, even though people feel that way. And society sometimes labels people in that way. God has a plan and a hope and a purpose for every person. And uh, that's our hope for you. Hey, listen, I want to just encourage you one other thing before we go. Um, tomorrow night we have our food pantry, and it's a beautiful way to serve some of those folks that we've been talking about even today with food. We'll have another drive-up pantry, and if you want to come help, that's great. But here's the caveat to that. On our South City family page, we're asking if you're planning on coming to volunteer tomorrow to please contact uh, Dana Looper, and that information is on our South City family page. Uh, she needs to know uh, how you're doing. They're going to take temperature when you get here. They're, we're going to take some, some extra precautions to make sure that we're being safe among one another and that we're not passing anything. So if you're coming to volunteer tomorrow, please contact Dana, and our team will be here. We'll be ready to serve and bless people. Uh, it'll be a fun night as we make Jesus known by just serving and loving people through this food. So, hey, thanks for joining us today at South City uh, Church Online. And we're going to continue to do this until uh, they give us a, a word that we can change and, and do something different. we got two more weeks in our series about being a neighbor. And I pray that you would continue uh, to pray for us. Uh, and when, when you start watching this broadcast, these, these uh, Facebook Lives, start sharing that. Let people know that we're online and that God is doing something in our church and in these messages for his glory and for our good. So God bless you. Thank you so much for all that uh, you've done, your faithfulness to give and stay engaged. We appreciate you. We miss you. We love you. Reach out to one another. Let's be that light in the darkness today. We love you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Take care.